to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 102 as we continue our uh, series looking at the penitential psalms together. Psalm 102. And as we have been doing throughout this series, I would like us to stand uh, together and read uh, this chapter of Psalms together out loud this morning. Of, of all the Psalms that we will read together and look through, this is uh, one of the longest Psalms, 28 verses. So there need some perseverance this morning as you stand and read with me. We'll pace ourselves. We'll make it through. It's going to be okay. If you don't have the English Standard Version, uh, we will have those words on the screen, as that's where I, where I will be reading from, and so you can read along uh, on the screen. Uh, so let's begin reading together this morning, Psalm 102, beginning in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and put pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. 
He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your ways have no end. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your word this morning, and we submit ourselves to it completely as our authority. God, I pray in these moments that you would speak clearly uh, through your word, that we would know the truth that is here before us, and we would come away changed, not because of anything clever that I have to say, but through the power of your word proclaimed and your spirit moving in our midst this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. You may be seated. The pastor, John Piper, uh, famously tells a story of a time when he was reading a news article about a couple who had moved to Florida in retirement, uh, and they were spending all of their days collecting seashells on the beach. And this entire article was about this couple who quite literally were giving their life to seashell collection. Uh, About that same time when John Piper says he read this article, there was uh, two missionary ladies in Africa who died in a car accident. And John Piper, in a way that only John Piper can, very passionately pleads with his listeners to consider what it is that you're giving your life to. Are you giving your life to fleeting things, things that are passing away, things that are withering and fading? Are you giving your life to eternal things? Is your perspective in this life set on the flesh, or is your perspective set on heaven and eternity? There are two types of people in this world. There are people who live with an eternal perspective, and there are those who live with an earthly one. And for those of us who are in Christ this morning, uh, we are prone to the latter. We are prone to set our focus back on earthly things and lose sight of our eternal perspective. It's interesting when we come to the Psalms, Uh, there's not necessarily a structure or flow to thought like we see in the epistles or or the narrative of Scripture. And so commentators, they try to uh, put the Psalms into a box by putting a structure of the order of the verses, which is very hard to do because the Psalms are poetry, they're songs that are to be sung. Uh, And so, in looking at commentaries this week, it was interesting how no commentator agreed on the structure of of this chapter. It's hard to put the Psalms in a box. But I think we do see here a a clear divide in the passage this morning. 
As we read through this, I hope you notice that the first 11 verses are very sorrowful, very almost depressing, full of anxiousness and fear as the writer focuses his attention on his temporal state, on earthly things. But then if you notice there in verse 12, there's a shift in the psalm. As the writer shifts his focus from the earth to heaven and to God himself. And so I want us to look this morning at this psalm in in these two sections. I want us to look first at the first 11 verses, and then I want us to conclude by looking at verses 12 through 28. And so if you would with me here in the first 11 verses, I believe that we see that the anxieties of men are rooted in the flesh. Uh, There are two different outlooks in this psalm. And first we see the outlook of the flesh, a worldly perspective. Now, what's interesting about this psalm when we consider it as one of the seven penitential psalms, very much like the first psalm that we looked at in this series, Psalm 6, which was not truly a psalm of confession, that is very true of Psalm 102. This is not a psalm of confession. This is not a true penitential psalm in the truest sense. We consider it as such because, as we've mentioned before, the early church would have read through these seven psalms and and sung these psalms together on Ash Wednesday. And so we find ourselves here this morning. This psalm, Psalm 102, is more of a transient psalm, or you could call it an exilic psalm, because the writer, many uh, uh, theologians and commentators believe, is writing this psalm while he is in exile. He is outside of his homeland, he has been forced out, and he is traveling in a foreign land. And so much of what we feel and sense from the writer in these first 11 verses in particular flows from and comes from his circumstances that he finds himself in. He is not at home He is in a distant land. He has no grounding, no stability. He is a traveler in a foreign land. And this bodes well for us this morning as Christians, or it should, because this is how we live the Christian life, understanding that this world is not our home. We are aliens in a foreign land. We are traveling through this life knowing that eternity is set for us. That is where our home is. And so this bodes well for us as we consider the state and the circumstances as as we look at the writer here and what he has to say, because it reminds us of, of our state as Christians living in this world, in a foreign land, traveling through, but it also reminds us of our fleeting state, that we are merely dust. We are merely created beings in this world. The writer communicates as such. You see there in verses 3 and 4, he says, My days pass away like smoke. You have the picture here of smoke rising to the sky. We've all seen smoke rising up. It eventually vanishes. It passes away. Verse 4, he says, My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. Throughout the scriptures, we have the illustration of grass passing away, withering. It is something that is fleeting. It only lasts for a moment. And then in verse 11, he again goes back to the the grass illustration. I wither away like grass. But he also says, my days are like an evening shadow. 
In the evening time, as the sun sets, you can stand there and watch your shadow passing away. He is mindful of the fact that he too is only here for a moment. And so there's a sense in this psalm from the writer that he is, but he is not. He exists, but only for a moment. He finds himself in the midst of life, and it is almost as if it is an out-of-body experience for him as the pressures of life and the sorrows of life come upon him that the world is passing him by. And we see this in the language that he uses here. He speaks of literal things that he can see and touch. He talks about his bones, his heart, his skin. He is, but he also is not. We see it in the language of of smoke and shadows and grass. I wonder if you've ever felt this way in life. As you're walking through this life and the pressures of the world and and, and the things of the flesh begin to consume you, that you too feel and sense that you have no control, that you are just simply watching as the world passes you by and it is only for a moment. And maybe you ask like Solomon does, "What what is this for? What is the purpose of life? And the state that he finds himself in produces a sense of of loneliness. We see this in verses 6 and 7 where he compares himself to a, a couple of birds here. First, he compares himself to a desert owl who is in the wilderness, in the waste places. He is completely alone. He has no companionship. He is surrounded by wilderness. Then in verse 7, he compares himself to a sparrow on the housetop. We sense his state of loneliness, his state of, of sorrow as he is away from his home in this time of exile. But we also feel the sorrow from the writer. We see this in verses 8, 9, and 10, language that we have heard throughout the penitential psalms. Verse 8, All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Again, the writer, although this is not David, but much like David, feels that his enemies are against him. They are deliberately seeking his harm. Verse 9, he says, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. I love this because if you have ever traveled in a foreign land for any uh, period of time, you, you know the feeling of the excitement of the new culture and the new food for a few days, and it's kind of fun to eat the, the different things that taste different and smell different, but after a few days of that diet, you feel hungry. And you cannot satisfy your hunger. And you can't wait to get back to the States and have a salad with ranch and a big, fat, juicy steak and a baked potato. He finds himself in a foreign land and he cannot satisfy even his hunger. Then in verse 10, though, he says, Because of your indignation and anger, you have taken me up and thrown me down. Again, we feel the weight of our sin and the judgment of God against us. And as we look at these first 11 verses, there's most definitely a sense of sorrow and sadness and brokenness. One commentator said of this, The writer is full of feverish anxiety. He is gripped with fear and concern and anxiousness because he is consumed by the flesh. And when we are consumed by the flesh in our thoughts and our affections, we are prone to this state. We are prone to anxiousness and fear and worry and sorrow. His mind is set on temporal things. 
I was reading recently that the average American spends just over seven hours a day looking at a screen. This is a, a shocking number to me. I'm sure for many people it's because they work a desk job, they have to look at a screen, but if you consider all of the screens that we look at on any given day from your, your phone to the television to the computer, it is time for us to confess as the church universal, the idolatry of the cell phone. If we're honest this morning, for many of us, myself included, the first thing that we look at when we wake up in the morning is a screen. And the last thing that we look at before we lay our head down to sleep at night is a screen. And as we look at the state of America and the culture and the rise of anxiety and, 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 and uh, mental health issues, I am no psychologist, but I cannot help but think it's because our days are consumed by looking at a screen at things that are fleeting and passing away. And we are anxious and we are fearful because so much of our time is caught up in things that are worthless and have no eternal perspective. Whether it's social media or Facebook, YouTube, the television, just aimlessly scrolling, mindlessly scrolling on our phones, looking at images after images, videos after videos, filling our minds with things that have no significance. When we consume ourselves with the flesh and our perspective is set on worldly things, this is the state that we find ourselves. And as Christians, we should not live in such a state of sorrow. Where do we look to find hope? Well, we look as the writer shifts his focus in verse 12 to the Lord. In verses 12 uh, through 28, the last half of Psalm 102 I believe we see that the hope of God's people is found in God himself. And so notice here how the passage shifts from the sorrow of the first 11 verses to the joyous knowledge of simply knowing who God is. You can see it there for yourself in the text. Verse 12, a three-letter word that gives us so much hope time and time again in the scriptures, but... A few weeks ago, we looked in Ephesians where uh, Paul was telling us, this was your former state, but now in Christ, this is who you are. So often, this simple word, but, in the scriptures is used as a word of encouragement to us, and we see it as the writer shifts his focus from himself to the Lord. His perspective shifts from himself to God, and this changes the complete outlook of the psalm. We shift our focus as we look at this passage from a fleeting existence to an eternal God. And so I want us to notice a few things that he highlights here about God's eternal state and how it relates to and compares to David's temporal state. So there's, there's six things that we see here about God's eternal state that, that gives us hope and joy this morning as we shift our focus from temporal things to eternal things. The first one is the Lord's eternal fame. Look at the second part of verse 12. It says, you are remembered throughout all generations. Verse 15, 
Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. We see it again in verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And then finally, in the second part of verse 24, we hear this language again. You whose years endure throughout all generations, from generation to generation, the name of the Lord will be praised. His fame is known throughout all of time and space, and there will never be a generation that comes who does not praise and know of his fame and his glory. He is not affected by adversity. He is not affected by the circumstances of life and our rebellion. His name will be lifted high throughout all generations. We secondly see here the Lord's eternal reign We go back to verse 12 in the first part. It says, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. And then verses 25 through 27 communicates this to us more. It says in verse 25, of old you laid the foundations of the earth. He was there at the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Verse 27, but you are the same, and your years have no end. He is the eternal king. Before time and space was created, he was reigning as Lord of all, and his rule has no end. He is Lord of lords and king of kings. Uh, We see here, too, the Lord's eternal sovereignty. Uh, We see this in a couple places. Verse 23, uh, it says here, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. It is the Lord who numbers our days. The Lord himself is the one who sets our time on the earth. We see it also in verse 28 when it says, The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. It is he alone who establishes our steps. This word sovereign that we use so often means that God has, has the right and the wisdom and the power to do as he pleases. And throughout all of time and space, he has always accomplished his perfect sovereign will. And he will continue to do so throughout eternity. Uh, we also see here the Lord's eternal mercy. Look at verse 13. It says, you will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. He has pity and mercy on, on Zion. We see this also in verse 16. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. This word Zion, uh, here in the New Testament, as you're probably aware, is used to speak of the people of God, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. Uh, as we think of a New Testament context, though, we can, uh, uh, we can affirm that Zion is the people of God throughout all generations. It is the church. We see, though, also not just God's mercy on the church, but on, on those who are outside of the people of God. Verse 19, that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. We sense here the, the, the wandering of the writer of the psalm as he wanders in exile. And he calls out, as we saw in verses 1 and 2, for the Lord to hear him in this time of, 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 of journey, of traveling. And he's crying out for the mercy of God. 
grace and mercy are, are very similar uh, truths, realities for us. But they are also very different in a sense. Grace is receiving something that we do not deserve. Mercy, though, is not receiving what we do deserve, namely death. And we see that at the end of verse 20. He says, to set free those who were doomed to die. All of us are set on a course to eternal death. And yet God, in his mercy, takes what we deserve, that death, and gives us life in Christ and Christ alone, through faith in him and his work on the cross. This is the great mercy of God. The writer also, though, rests his hope in the Lord's eternal promises. We see this again in verse 13. When he says, you will arise and have pity on Zion, it is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. We know throughout Scripture that the Lord promises to deliver his people. We also see this in verse 16 where it says, for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. It is the Lord who builds up his church. He promises to build his church throughout all generations. And then finally, we see this church being built up throughout the nations. Verse 22 When peoples gather together and kingdoms come to worship you, the Lord promises that there will be people from every tribe and tongue gathered around the throne in eternity. And the writer clings to the promises. But finally here we see the Lord's eternal faithfulness. We see this again in verse 27, which we already read, these beautiful words, you are the same, and your years have no end. Our God does not change. He does not contradict himself. He does not pass away. Although we, along with all of creation, are fleeting and are like dust, he is eternally the same. And we find hope in that this morning. We set our minds on him this morning. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Dear friend, our hope this morning does not rest in the flesh. Our hope this morning rests in God and God alone. And when we consider that the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, cares for us in spite of our fallen, fleeting state, we find tremendous hope and joy in this place this morning. Listen to what Psalm 8 says. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 144, verses 3 through 4. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The fact that the God of the universe has compassion on us 
as if we are his own children, all the while knowing that we are merely dust, is a glorious truth this morning that we proclaim. The creator God cares for us. He has come near to us and revealed himself to us in his Son and through his word. This is a glorious truth. This is something that distinguishes Christianity from every religion that the world fabricates. God is not distant. He is not far off. He has come near to us, and he cares for us as his people. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. It is fitting that we find ourselves today entering into the season of of Advent, the season of expectation of Christ coming. And the glory of, of the Advent season, the Christmas season, is the same expectation that David and Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and Isaiah and Jeremiah, that same expectation they had thousands of years ago of a Messiah who was to come, we share in that same expectation this morning today. We look back to a Christ who has already come and conquered sin and death by dying on a cross and rising from the dead, but we have that same expectation in the fact that he's coming again, that he promises to return, and that is the beauty of Advent. That is the beauty of the Christmas story that we celebrate that God himself, the creator of all things, humbled himself and became a man. He came near to us And he suffered a death on a cross in our place. But he did not stay dead. He rose victoriously over the grave. This is a glorious truth this morning that we herald. A truth that Islam and and Mormonism and all the religions of the world cannot even compare to come close to this grand truth that God has come near to us and shown himself to us and given us compassion at the cross through the blood of Christ. What a glorious truth this morning that we're talking about. Just let this settle in your mind for a moment. The one true God who created everything cares for you. And he's shown it to you in the fact that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. And so our response to this this morning is to seek him and to know him. You can know this creator God this morning through Christ and Christ alone. And so how do we know him? Well, three points of application here as we close to this reality. First, we need to know him more and more by his word. Oftentimes people will will say to me, you know, pastor, I just wish God would speak to me. I wish God would come to me in a a dream or a vision and a special word and just give me something. And my response to them is, he has spoken. He's spoken once and for all through his son. He's spoken once and for all through words on a page that we can come to and read and we can know him and grow in a knowledge of him daily. And so as we think about knowing him by his word, we, we again are in a great time of year as we wrap up this year and we look to the coming year to begin to consider how will we 
in the coming year as individuals, as families, as the church, be intentional about coming before the word of God each and every day. That we would set a standard in our own personal life and in our families and and in our church that we would be about reading the word of God from cover to cover over and over and over and over again. Not out of an act of some sort of religious uh, movement to appeal to God, but simply because we affirm and know this morning that this is the word of God. This is truth. That creator God has spoken to us, and this word is life. And so my challenge for you this morning and for myself is as we look to this, this coming year, begin to think through how can you be more intentional and deliberate to spend time in the word of God each and every day? And you say, oh, pastor, I, I, I don't have time for that. Here, here's my challenge to you. If you have an iPhone, you can set a screen time monitor. I want you to set that, and I want you to come back later and report to me how much time you spend looking at your screen each day. And then I want you to tell me you don't have time for the Word. We have time, friends. Spend time in the Word of God. One of the greatest graces that God has shown me in my life is Scripture reading plans. For about the last 20 years, I have had a Scripture reading plan that I I read through and, and read through the pages of Scripture over and over and over again. And this is such a joy because there is a deliberate, intentional commitment to being in the Word. And, it, and it's not a distraction of sitting down and thinking, where am I going to be today? And you just find yourself just reading through the Psalms and the Gospels, and then you read a little bit of Le- Leviticus, and you get overwhelmed, and so you go back to the Psalms, but you have a, a plan, you have a strategy you are committing to and saying, Lord, this time is for you. How can you be more intentional about being in the Word each and every day? How can you be more intentional about bringing your family before the Word each and every day? If you aren't already thinking about these things, my encouragement to you would be to do so. There are many scripture reading plans out there to fit different schedules. There are lots of resources for parents who want to read through the Bible with their children. Think about these things. The second point of application is, first, know him by his word, but secondly, pray to him. Speak to him daily. Again, set aside time where you can intentionally commit your request to the Lord, where you can intentionally uh, express your adoration to the Lord, to confess your sins to the Lord, to express your gratitude and your supplication to the Lord. Set aside time each and every day to present your request to this creator God. This is the glorious truth that we're thinking of in the Psalms and prayer and confession that we saw in verse 1, that God hears our prayers, and he answers our prayers, and he wants us to bring our request before him, and so we should do so. Again, as families that we would be intentional about praying together, praying for our children, praying for our spouses, that we would be intentional as the church to be about prayer. Uh, This is something I'm really excited about in the coming days. We're going to talk more about this, but in the year 2023 as a church, we are going to be very intentional about prayer. 
Uh, we're going to have a, a, a weekly prayer guide that we're going to be walking through as a church. Uh, we're going to reopen our prayer room and encourage people to come up here during the office hours uh, each day of, uh, of the week and be about praying for our church and our family and for the nations. I have encouraged our team leaders to think about how they and their teams can be intentionally about prayer. If we are going to be a church that thrives in the ever-changing days, we must be a people who pray fervently. Commit to prayer. Set aside time to pray. But finally, the third point of application. First, know him by his word. Pray to him, but point others to him. We're talking about the greatest news that the world has ever known. And yet, how often do we keep this news to ourselves? The Christmas season is a great time to point others to the glorious news of the gospel. Think about how you can be intentionally sharing Christ with your neighbors and your co-workers and just random people that you run into at Walmart. Uh, the, the person that you get your Starbucks coffee from in the drive through how can you be pointing others to this glorious message of the gospel, this Christmas story? But as we close, I, I want to close with just one final challenge, if you will, one final encouragement in light of what we've, we've thought on this morning. As we compare the fleeting world and this eternal God and where our perspective is, where we spend our time and our thoughts and our attitudes and our affections, are our our affections set on fleeting things or eternal things? And so my encouragement and challenge to all of us this morning as we close this service is to allow again anew this morning the Spirit to convict us of sin. We've kind of touched on the the screen time thing in in, in maybe a joking way at times this morning, but maybe for you genuinely, screen time is an idol for you. And you find yourself consumed by it. Confess that this morning. Repent of that this morning. Maybe your focus this morning on earthly things is in your career and your job and your goals. You find yourself overwhelmed by the anxieties and pressures of the world because you've committed your life in a way to something that is fleeting that you should not. Confess that. Repent this morning. Maybe, maybe you're consumed by your family and the cares of the world and you want to in your own power try and protect and keep your children guarded from the the threats of this world and this morning you need to just recommit yourself to the promises of God and who he is as a, as a father as a mother as a grandparent commit the Lord or commit your children and your family to the Lord this morning Set aside, setting aside your fears and your tendencies to focus on temporal things and committing again anew this this morning yourself and your family to the Lord. What are those fleeting things that you are focused on? What are those trivial things that you are consumed by? Confess it this morning and turn again anew your attention and your focus and your affections on this eternal God that we read of this morning. Let's pray.